Check, check, check. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, that means you are now tuned into Chapter 66 of the Introverted Intuition Podcast. My name is Jeff, a.k.a. The Petty Podcaster, a.k.a. Hella Excited, because I have a special guest with me today. It's been about maybe a month and a half, two months in the making. Yeah, trying to set roughly, this up, I feel. roughly, yeah. On my and, and my my fault, more, my fault, not yours at all. <laughs> no Definitely problem. Mine. I understand you're busy. Um, <laughs> man, if I could just do a little intro before I int- intro before I introduce you. Um, when we met about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, mm-hmm. uh, you were just finished doing a podcast, another network, another podcast on this network by the thank name by the name of the Thank Me Later podcast. Yes, with Lee. Lee, shout out to Lee. I love Lee. Yeah, she's dope, and um. You were on your way out, but you gave me about five minutes of your time. I just asked you for some quick advice about what do you do in moments of writer's block. Yeah. And you told me something so simple, but I kept it with me uh, ever since then. You just told me just to be patient with yourself and be patient with the with, with the art and take your time with it. And um, that day, I remember I told you I was going to buy this book I have in my hand. And I bought it that day. <laughs> you did, because you sent me the receipt. I remember that. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and this yeah. book alone has really changed the trajectory of my life creatively and got me started on my own man, path writing. Come on, bro. Don't get me crying, man. And uh, I just want to thank you, first off, first, first and foremost. Um, yeah. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your art. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, man. I, that, that, mean, that means a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So thank you. Of course. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Today I have with me uh, Joelle L. Daniels. Uh, creator, uh, author, musician, father. What do, what do you go by nowadays? <laughs> you have many hats. What, what do you, who are you today? Right now I'm cooling. Right now I'm cooling. But like, cool. no, you know, normally I'm, I think, because like, I used to get so, I used to struggle so much, man, with like the title of things. Because it was like, at one one season I was like a rapper. Then like, one season I was really focused on like theater work. And okay. then there's another season where it's like, Maybe I'm just an essayist, and it's like I'm a storyteller. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like the medium shifts sometimes, depending on like whatever the season and the spirit calls me to do. But for lack of a better term, I'm a storyteller. Because like I feel like even as a father, I'm a storyteller. Hmm. You know, this is my second time meeting you in person, but I feel like I already kind of know you a bit, following you on Twitter yeah. and yeah. reading your book. Like I feel like I got into a, like a nice clear view into your life a bit. But if yeah. I, obviously, I want to get a clearer view after this interview today. Yeah, cool. Um. I want to get into your book, want to get into your life. But before that, I want to know, how are you, sir? How has 2018 been for uh, Joelle L. The So, first of all, thank you for asking me that question. Because I think asking that question with intention is really important when we're asking people, like, how are they in the space that they're holding? Right. right. at the, In the moment that you're asking it. Um, like, right now, I'm wonderful. Um, it's been good to be able to say that because, and not a lot of people know this, but I feel like, and not to... And let me preface this by saying I'm I don't put myself or my space or spirit above anybody else's. But I do recognize and I'm cognizant of the fact that my level of good, like when I say I'm good, that space normally operates a little higher than most people's general good because I'm just generally like enthused with life. Um, 2018 has kind of been a shit show for the most part. Um, I would tell people sometimes and really until like the past three months, like I, I would tell people. 2018 for like if um because we can curse right of course yeah so it felt like a, a gang of of crips and bloods that came together and whipped my ass and it was like that like that's what 2018 felt like for a large chunk of the of time like me kind of not being sure where I was going what I was doing what my process was if I was really being intentional with the work that I wanted to do and I quite frankly didn't know what work I was trying to do hmm. um questioning myself as a writer. Um, as an artist, the only thing I felt most comfortable with was being a father. I felt like if you ask me how how I did in the fatherhood space, I excelled. I think 
me and Lila, my daughter, have like this relationship of just utter joy and contentment and then also understanding and proper communication for as 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 much proper communication you can have with a three year old. Right. Um so like that's been the beacon of twenty eighteen. But really up until about literally three months ago, twenty eighteen felt like a shit show, like a train wreck. That's literally insane because the same thing has happened to me. I mean yeah, nothing yeah. hopefully nothing tragic has happened to you. No. no um no, no. nothing like that tragic has happened to me as well. But it's just up until about a few months ago, it's just been like the universe is like, okay, you had your fun. Mm-hmm. Let's put you to these tests mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. you ready for the new year, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I've lived with, like, depression and anxiety a bit. And yeah. then Same. not being without it throughout this entire year until a few months ago, it's been kind of strange, you know? Mm. like, like I, And in a weird way, I kind of feel comfortable that it's back because I was so used to it. I got you. If that yeah. makes sense. No, that makes absolute sense, yeah. But um, I hope going forward things can pick up for you i mean 2019 is on the horizon yeah tw- in the last quarter yeah this i mean I'm, like so when i say i feel wonderful it's because things i spend a lot of time being like yo this year is going to be the year before that year comes up like 2017 is like yo 2018 man i'm gonna make yo it's gonna be it and then 2016 was like yo you know a lot of change a lot changed when i had a child and so i think even with that giving myself the space to recognize that we often don't do that for ourselves like when we go through these heavy transitional periods of life and growth whether that be through a, a, a be like marriage death birth the changing of a job the move into a new apartment the move into a new city or country or state whatever the case might be hmm. losing of friends gaining of new friends these are all transitions you know what i'm saying in life in general that i don't think we tend to give ourselves enough space to like actually sit with and so you know, when I first had Lila, I had just I had just shifted not just jobs but careers. I used to work in social services. I moved to marketing and advertising. So like that was a career shift right. on top of a job shift. So moving from the Bronx, not moving like my apartment, but moving workspaces. And so like having to become accustomed to a new work environment, new work people, a new organizational structure on top of being a father and right. learning like what that like no, learning what that means and then also entering this new dynamic of co-parenting with the with the with the woman that I had a child with and who I care about and like what does that look like and recognizing that I feel like right now is probably where I've become most comfortable with all those things. Did you worry about what other people thought about your situation? Absolutely. Like your family and stuff like that? Abs- I mean, less my family, more hers. Oh. Um, you know what I'm saying? I think just because I was rooted and grounded in what and in the foundation of my family, you know what I'm saying? Like knowing what to expect from them, which is like nothing but love and acceptance. Um, and not to say I didn't get that from her family, but there's also there's a lot of questions like, you know, you got my child pregnant, <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like and you, now you're not together. Like what's your responsibility as a man? I don't know you. So I have to take you for your word. But at the same time, I don't really know who you are. We didn't really get the chance to fully develop a long term type relationship prior to. Yeah. So. Even now, we're still like, like as as much as we care about each other, we're still learning the dynamics of not just ourselves as parents to this magical child we have, but then also the dynamics of our parenting relationship and right. friendship too. Like we're still learning each other, and so I think again, it's about giving ourselves space. And so I'm finally in a place where I feel like, yo, I'm rooted in something, and so twenty, I'm really excited for 2019 in a way I haven't been excited since, honestly. If I'm being, yeah, like 2013. 2013, wow. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's a while ago. Yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like holiday season is like the perfect time for you to actually 
like I guess not get to know each other, but become more comfortable with each other in terms of parents and be more accepting of your situation, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. like, during the holiday season, you know, are going to have to be around each other yeah. at some point. Yeah. So I think this is the perfect timing, I feel. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. Um, And I think also, too, it just, it's, I think some of it's really, it's more timing than it is just like the time of the season. You know, we've, we've grown in relationship and we've grown outside of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, She's doing things on her own that are really productive and, and helpful for her growth as well as I am, as opposed to, I think, there was us trying to figure out how to finesse co-parenting, not finesse co-parenting alongside our other individual things, as opposed to giving each other the space and room right. to grow as individuals outside of just parents. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, like she's not just the parent to this child. She's a human being who has her own wants, needs, desires that live outside of our parenting dynamic. You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that look for her? What does that mean for her? And being aware of that. And also just making sure I'm being aware of that for myself, giving myself the room to date or to, like, explore the other sides of my art and my creativity, but also make sure I'm as present as possible for this human being that we brought into this world who didn't ask to be here. May I ask, the decision to co-parent, did that happen during the pregnancy or after? It happened during the pregnancy. Uh, may I ask why? Mm. You can. Um, I think I I do a lot of things based on feeling and heart. I don't know if necessarily that leads me in the right direction all the time, but I think it leads me in the best direction for me, hmm. for like my, my spiritual sanity and safety. And, you know, not to get too far into the weeds or into the details, but it just felt like felt like we could come to a general consensus, consensus that we were going to be better as friends and parents than as like partners in this journey. Right. You know, which I honestly feel like was the best decision we made. Wow. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with anyone personally who's done a co-parenting thing. Even yeah. in my own life, uh, my mom was just a single mother and she mm. had the support of my family. So yeah. I yeah. was always curious why people do that. I'm sure people do it for different reasons. But. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, and, and I would have conversations with individuals that would say like, yo, once, like once this child comes here, you're going to see things differently. And like, it's going to like, I think you, there's going to be room and opportunity and space for you two to maybe explore getting back together. Hmm. And I would just kind of be like, nah, I, I and not because I was reluctant to, but just because I kind of just know what I know. Part of that is like my Capricorn slash like Sagittarius moon, <laughs> whatever, I guess. But I just know what I know about me, right. you know, about and, and know what I want and what I don't want. But also very much know what I want to what I the kind of energy I want to bring around my child and the kind of energy I don't. And I spent a lot of time in my formative years trying to fit like square pegs into triangle holes, right? Like, like you gotta, like you almost have to try to retrofit things to make them work because, especially as persons of color, I think we tend to think that struggle should be synonymous with like success and growth, and like you should have to struggle in order to obtain certain things. That you don't and think that's true? I think there's a certain level of structure that comes. There's a certain level of struggle that comes from just being a human being. That's added, and there's an added layer of being a person of color. But I don't think we have to invite struggle into our lives in order for that thing to become possible. And I think we tend to say, "Oh, yo, you have to work really hard." What you do, but then, like, yo, if you're not, if it's not, if there's no hardship, then like, you know, is it really real? And it's like, 
you have to also be be discerning of like what kind of hardship is the kind of hardship that's worth staying involved in a situation for, right. and what's the kind of hardship that may might be self destructive or might infringe on your on on your spirit, and like what's the work that we're doing in order to ensure we're not doing that. And a lot of that is like personal work; it has nothing to do with the other person. Right. It's like what what's my value system? What what are my code of ethics? How do I move about in the world, and how do I not let the things that are outside of that periphery infringe on my well being? Could you see yourself uh, and the mother of your child working back towards a kind of more intimate setting, or is it just what it is is now? That's what it will be. I think what it is now is what it will be, and I think I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm pretty sure she's fine with that. Cool. You know what I'm saying? Because I think, you know, and not to get too too far into a situ into a conversation about like what marriage means, and like you know when we talk about the origins of marriage, a lot of that was just for economic purposes, right. so tax purposes, and then we moved sort of into like the biblical reference of marriage and like what it means as an institution. But it's still like at the end, like we've made it into this thing where as opposed to like, do you love a person? Do you not love a person? Right. Are you in love with a person or you're not in love with a person? And I think outside of love, a a friend of mine, Great Scott, shout out to Great Scott. He he, he had um, posted something on Instagram where like the love doesn't have to be there, but mutual respect has to be there when it comes to like raising a child, which I agree with, but don't agree. I I think the preference is to have both. Right. But I think as long as you two love the person that you've created and you respect each other, you can raise a healthy child. Because a child, what a, what a child needs is the child needs to see a relationship between two people who respect each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and like the respect doesn't necessarily have to come out in a loving like. The respect should come out in a loving way. But the people don't have to love each other. Like, I can respect your boundaries. You can respect my boundaries. I can respect your space. You can respect mine. We don't have to hug. And, like, it would be great if we did. But how are we talking to each other? How are we dealing with situations that come about when we're talking about our child? And what is our child seeing? Is our child seeing, seeing us, like, yelling and cursing at each other? Is our child seeing us handle disagreements and, and confrontation in a way that's healthy, mm-hmm. that promotes healthy communication and dialogue so that, th- that he or she or they, whomever they decide to identify as, grows up in a way that they say, okay, this is this is what I'm okay with, and I'm okay with actually stating that because I saw that in two two grown people who were caring for me because they had respect for each other. So you think uh, you think your daughter is aware of the situation at all? Like, no, I she- think nah, 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 nah. I think Lila's aware that daddy stays one place, mommy stays one place. Got it. I think she's aware that she has two parents who love each other. I Amazing. think who like and who love her more than anything else. She has two parents that love her. You know. Um, and part of the, also the reason was like I didn't want I didn't want this to get too far down the line where we're having conversations about separation when Lila's eight nine years old because that's a whole different kind of conversation right. with a with a child who's growing into especially a girl who's going into a young woman who's going to be going to a space where she's going to be developing and she's going to be she's going to eventually have a period and like her her having parents who were not together when she was not even born yet, invites the opportunity for this to be her norm. She doesn't know anything else. This is her norm. Hmm. Her parents not, this is how we function, as opposed to like the waiting, angling, the potential for something else to happen. No, we can we can cut that. We can cut that off. So like, I don't want to create any confusion for my child outside of the confusion that the world is already going to be giving her. Oh, man. Um, the way you even like speak about your daughter, it, it gets me personally excited to want hopefully have a child one day. I'm sitting here yeah. talking to my girl like, Yo, yeah. you ready yet? Like, <laughs> let's do it. Like, you, I read this nice book about things to say to my daughter. Like, yeah. let's do it. Don't do it. Don't do it yet. <laughs> don't do it yet, Jed. Like, I mean, Grant, I'm 30. I had Lila when I was 30. Had, but you know what I'm saying? Lila came to this world when I was 33 years of age. Right. 
um, and I'm gonna be 36. And like, I won't. I didn't think I was gonna have a child, man. Like at all. Yeah, yeah. And I was fine with that because I love children. I love children. But it was like I got nieces. You know what I'm saying? I got grown nephews. I spent time like, especially my my one of my older nephews, Justin. He's 18. I spent a lot of, like changed that boy's diapers. Like I was around for a lot of it, so it felt. I was like, yo, I'm good. I'm cool. Like I'm cool with not like I would get baby fever mm-hmm. sometimes. Cause I would just see ch- children be like, oh man, it'd be kind of cool. But I was also like, I don't want that kind of responsibility because right. it is a responsibility. Like everything. I, I imagine. I imagine it's crazy, especially at first, like when they're first born and you're still struggling with knowing what to do, even figure out how to change a diaper. Probably has to be kind of crazy. Yeah, and then and then also figuring out a dynamic. Because, yeah. like, even if we were together, there's still a new, this is a new dynamic that you and your partner have to adjust to because now there's another person who expects and needs things from you. And so you have to, there's a, you have to almost find this new place in yourself that you've never developed. Yeah. And granted, you've been developing it. If, like, your, if your practice is like love and like kindness towards yourself and towards other people w- walking in the world, but you invite this child into this space, you are now learning how to adjust your being. To ensure that ensure this person's safety, yeah, and then also having to like adjust like what our relationship as is as like, you know, partners. Like, okay, so when are we having sex, and like, how are we having sex, and how are we having conversations about date night, mm-hmm. how are we having conversations about what's shifting in you as a human and me as a human, and how do we make that work with this other person who needs all of our attention for at least three more years? Because like now, Lila's she's not fully functional, but mm-hmm. It's amazing watching her. Like, even the other night, man, she's just putting, I was like, do you need some help, boo-boo? And she's like, no, I got it. And she's like putting her pants on. I'm still trying to help her because one day she's not going to need my help anymore. And literally that one day is not far. It's Does that like scare maybe, you? Absolutely. And that scare me makes me sad. Oh, sad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that gotcha. doesn't scare me because I'm impressed by her growth. Like, I'm excited for her growth, but it makes me sad. And so I try to, not clinging, because clinging is like, clinging is, a, is another form of struggling, right? Like, and it's funny, it's something I talked to Lee about when we had a conversation about Buddhism or whatever. The idea of like pain, pain is uh, pain is expected. Suffering is optional. Right. Like, and the suffering is the clinging and the attachment. Whether that be good to cling to good things or bad things, and me clinging to like this age of Lila needing my help is like that's that's gonna end because yeah. she's going to grow up, God willing, right. So I have to kind of get used to that, but it still doesn't keep me from like, uh, let me just help you with your pants one more. Because like literally, the moment from her not needing my help anymore to still needing it changes in a, in a it can change in a day. Right. Like right. Lila turned three, and it's like things just started clicking. That's a testament to your good parenting, though. She's already uh, doing that you, stuff brother. on her own, and yeah, 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 you should yeah. be proud of that. Yeah, I, I am, man. She's like she's in the, like she's she's fairly independent, and she's going and like that's a Amazing. normal toddler stage. But I also recognize my daughter is she's yeah. Lila's cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you weren't even expecting to have a child. So Ooh. I'd like to kind of set a timeline for the people. Like, okay. Going back to when you were younger till now. Um, what kind of kid were you? <laughs> like, were you kind of like your daughter is, like, in a way? You know, I wish my mom would give me more information about that kind of stuff because I literally don't have any memories starting. I don't have any memories until five. Right. Like, I don't remember anything until I turned five years old. And literally... Not even until I turned five, until my first day of kindergarten. I feel like my memories start then. Like, it almost feels like my life started when I went to kindergarten. That's interesting. I yeah. kind of feel the same way, actually. Okay, okay. so, okay, cool. It's not just me. Like, it's this weird feeling of, like, I remember specifically the day I woke up for kindergarten. Like, and that feels like as if I woke up. Like, I came out of my mom's womb at five. My kindergarten teacher taught me my first prayer. 
I don't oh, think wow. she was supposed to do that, but I was my first time. <laughs> yeah, I that's ever, random. I was, that's the first time I ever remember praying with somebody kindergarten teacher. <laughs> oh, that's random. Like, so <laughs> random. Were you in like a Catholic school or something? No, I don't. I don't even <laughs> remember what it was. Like, whoa, but it, she was this, this redhead lady, and I don't remember her name, but. Yes, yeah, we prayed before class started. I mean, that's kind of cool. That's also like, whoa, lady infringing on. Maybe I don't want to pray. But that's really that's really <laughs> it was cool. Nineties, eh? yeah, it's a... <laughs> yeah, being gay, they're like, we're gonna do what you want to do. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know when I took Lila to see her doctor, she was like the 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 words she used to describe her were precocious, brave, smart, um, independent, like. It was all these cool, really good words. And, like, I, I remember thinking to myself, like, I think when I see Lila playing with toys and creating stories, I have to be realistic and honest. Like, she's doing normal child stuff, right? So I think there's a tendency as parents to be like, my baby can, my baby's drawn, da 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 And it's like, well, I mean, she's, like, three or four. Like, that's kind of the age where they start doing certain things. Yeah. But, like, when, like, the doctor asked Lila to draw a picture and like of something, like of mommy. And she drew a picture of her mom with that with a head and eyes and nose and she drew legs and feet. And then she drew a picture of me with no hair. <laughs> and then she drew a house. And then she drew a moon. And then like and doc- the doctor was like, This is impressive. Like she's like the fact that she can illustrate the world in this way is advanced for a three year old. And it made me think about when I was five and how you know, I had, and up until maybe my formative years of like 10 or 11, I still had, I had imaginary friends <laughs> and not just imaginary friends. I had imaginary stories. I had created a, there was like a R&B group that I created called Instrumental, which I feel like I need to trademark because I feel like that's just an amazing name for that's an R&B great. group. Word, right? It's not Do like it a dope today. ass name. For Do like it R- today. Like, and then we had a rival group called the Skyscrapers. And so, and this was like before NSYNC Backstreet Boys, keep in mind, because I was born in 83. So like, you know, like we had this, then like the groups, we we stopped being rival groups and we decided to go on tour together, right? So I had to like create like a tour list. And like I was doing all this in my mom's bedroom. Um, We had a movie, um, Burn Rubber. So Burn Rubber 1, oh yeah, I mean it was Burn Rubber, but then Burn Rubber 2, Burn Rubber 3. And so it was a combination of imaginary friends and actual friends who I had who I created to be imaginary. So... So in order to like frame that, I had friends who were, existed in real life, right? But they didn't know I had imaginary friends, and so what I would do is I would bring them into my imaginary world as imaginary people. So if my friend's name was like Alex, Alex would then become an imaginary person in this world I created at home. That's and true. so like there were movies, there were soundtracks, there were album covers, like there was a whole world, a universe that I created for myself, which. I think Lila's doing it, not to this extent because she's only three, but I'm really curious to see like what else develops for her in that way. So if, to clarify, you are an only child, but you had so people near you growing up, kind of. So I, so interestingly enough, I wasn't. And so it's funny you say that because what I tell people is like I feel like I grew up as an only child, even though I wasn't. And I think part of that is because the 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 ages of my of my siblings were so disparate. Like my my oldest brother is like in his early fifties, and my brother. Um, Following that is in his early 40s. Wow, okay. So there's like eight-year difference and there's like a 15, 16-year difference. So when I was five, my brother D was, what, 13? So like I was the annoying little brother. He didn't want to like kick it with me. Like I remember when I shaved my eyebrows off and he was just so mad at me. Like we were supposed to go hang out or something. And he was like, nah, man, I can't take you nowhere, bro. You shaved your eyebrows off. My mom put me on <laughs> punishment. I was, just, I was a weird man. <laughs> I was just like trying to do stuff. And so yeah. I think... I grew up as an only child because I was just creating room because I had so much room to play. I didn't have other 
kids my age. I, I didn't have other siblings my age. But then I had friends, but I didn't think they'd understand. Mm. And, I, and I think there was also some level of, like, sacredness. Like, I would play with G.I. Joe's with some of my friends, and I feel like they wouldn't play with them right. So I would just be like, nah, I can't play with y'all. I'm just going to keep playing by myself. Like, I, <laughs> and some of that feels controlling a little bit. But it's less <laughs> controlling and more about I'm creating a world for myself that feels safe. And so not inviting or working with people who don't get my process, which also I guess is a little controlling. Yeah. I've been working on that though, like to be more open to like just working with. The people. fact that you're aware of it is is pretty healthy, I think. Yeah, but working towards you. to Thank get you. rid of that habit yeah. is a little, a little bit of a harder task. Mm. I guess I'm the only person who I'm the only child, and oh, okay. I was very connected to my imaginary friends and the, yeah. the, the heroes that I read in the comic books yeah, and yeah, played yeah. in the video games. Mm, yeah, so yeah. those felt like more of a family to me. So that's yeah. why I asked that. No, fair. No, yeah, like I would play board games by myself. There was a teenage, okay. there was a teenage mutant ninja turtles board game that I had that I would just play with my imaginary friends because like I wasn't inviting people to the house to do it because like I don't think I also don't think I enjoyed other people's company as much as I enjoyed myself. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I enjoyed my own company. Do you identify as an introvert? I feel like I'm an ambivert because and, it, and a part of that is just because I perform. Like I love being on stage, and but I've also been recognizing that part of that and. This is another conversation, but part of that is also stage allows me to give freely and people to receive, but it doesn't, it's not as much work. Because what happens is when you're off stage with people, then you're you're not just communicating, but people are asking you questions. People are digging, like you're growing a relationship. And so it's easier to be on stage because I'm I'm removed from that to a certain extent. So I'm not I'm not forced to be as close. I'm I'm able to be I'm able to be as close as I want to be. I'm in control of that dynamic when right. I'm on stage. Like I give freely all of myself. Like performing is very much like a spiritual thing for me. Hmm. But um it's that and I think that's why I'm most comfortable because it's like that dy- I'm I'm able to like people have a certain level of access but not a lot. Right. You know, and I think that there's there's a level of comfort. Also again something I'm working through. I'm personally I personally am like deep rooted in my introvertedness. And <laughs> doing this show is like a kind of a healthy way to get me out of that. That's dope. Because yeah. I do enjoy meeting new people and connecting with more yeah. souls, but yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily a fear of meeting mm. new people and being judged, but it's just like I'm just comfortable being alone, you know? Yeah, and and I think and I think, you know, we I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think yeah. and I think I think I think Part of the work is like, you know, like you, like even you doing this podcast, that's the work. I think that's dope because it's you putting yourself out there, putting yourself in a position where it's like, oh, how can I grow more? How can I challenge what I'm known to be like this label that we that we place on ourselves? You know, like I'm a father. I'm an ambivert. I'm a copywriter. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a third. Mm. And all these things change and shift. You know what I'm saying? Like. I'm a parent or like, God forbid, like, you know, if, if, if my child isn't here anymore, am I still a father? If I don't have a child, right. you know what I'm saying? Like if I lose my, if I lose all my siblings or if I pass away, is my brother, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what like we, we, we attach significance to these labels, which I think labels are important. Like if you walk into a bookstore and there were no labels, how would you find a book of poetry right. or biography? So there's some, there's some level of importance and some level of ego that needs to see things for what they are so we can make appropriate decisions based on those things. But at the same time, it's like, I think there's a, there's a cushion that we have to be able to give ourselves to say, am I really this thing? Like, am I really an ambivert? Am I really an introvert? Or am I just a person being, right? I, I agree and I disagree. I feel yeah. like the, there's a negative connotation to the word introvert. Mm. And doing some self-reflection, like, I've realized that introvertedness has held me back from so much. Really? I yeah. feel like I could have met so many amazing people <clears throat> sooner hmm. or interacted with people more. And yeah. 
I just feel doing this. I, I feel I needed. I needed this. Okay. To, in order to grow yeah. into a better person. And I think that's important because that's that's you're gauging it based on your experience and what you need. Right. Which I think is also important too, because like context. Like that's why I try not to give advice to people. Like when people ask me, like, you know, unless people specifically ask me, like, what should I do? And even then, I'm like. <laughs> uh, I'm not you. I'm not. I don't have your biases. I didn't grow up how you grew up. Right. So it's unless I really know you, it's hard for me to make a des, uh, a decision on something you should do. A because I don't want I don't want that responsibility. Yeah. But then also I don't know what your I don't know your history. You know what I'm saying? Like if you went into a doctor's office and was just like, "Yo, what's what's um? Why does my knee hurt?" They're gonna have to they're gonna like have to know your backstory in order to like gather more information right. to make a sound decision. And I think we tend to like kind of just give off advice to people willy nilly, like, oh you're an introvert, you should do this, this, and that and the other. But no, the podcast worked for you. Right. You know, as opposed to maybe that's not what somebody else needs, you know? Mm-hmm. So going back to your childhood a bit, mm-hmm. uh you remember we started five. So yeah. did you get your first book around that time? Or did you start writing around that time? Like which came first? I probably had my first book first. I mean, because I was writing. I mean, I was writing in school, of course, because we were learning how to write. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think writing became serious until like first grade. But I like reading. I remember my mom bringing me. I don't remember what age that was, but her bringing me like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books. I used to draw Teenage Mutant Turtles. I used to. I used to draw them everywhere. Raphael. Oh, Raphael, oh, by okay. far. People always consider him like the best for some reason, but he's like the the badass. Like, yeah, asshole yeah. That's I think, and I think I, that's why. I always looked at Leo was like the best. He's the leader. He like whatever they do with really out him. Like, what do they do with him? So yeah, that's absolutely true. But I think part of that is the balance. Yeah. Like you need like, and I think. <laughs> I, I think the Ninja Turtles, we're about to have an existential conversation about the Ninja Turtles. Let's do it. But even when I'm thinking about it, all four of them represent, I think, the sides of ourselves that we that that, that we that we either embrace or deny. Mm. Right? Like I, my mom used to tell me all the time, like, be a leader, not a follower. And I never I would hear it and I understood what she meant because I knew who leaders were, but I didn't know how to put that into practice. I didn't know what that meant. Like, she would be like, you know, follow, like, you know, just lead or, like, do. I didn't know what that meant until very recently, honestly, where I've been able to feel like, okay, I have, because I have tools now as a man. Like, I know how to, like, move about in the world as a leader, at least for myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what that definition is for me. But I think when you look at, like, the party animal, the asshole, the leader, and then the super smart guy, right? right. They all serve a purpose in the Ninja Turtles. And I think all those, like, we're all those things. Like, sometimes you're a leader. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you have to be, like, not the asshole, but you have to be the person that's a little more direct. Yeah. And sometimes you, it's okay to be the person that just wants to eat pizza and chill out, um, veg. And then, like, maybe you're a nerd. Maybe you like reading comic books and shit like that. I like, wonder if cool fatherhood too. shifted that that for you. Like, because you kind of had mm. to step up and be in charge and take care, be a protector, be a provider. Do <laughs> you think that might have been the shift and where you realized that? Yeah. I think it's part. it was partially that and, like, getting older. And yeah. not, and let me not attribute that to getting older because some people do get some people age and still don't really grow up. Yeah, and I don't know what that is. I've been trying to figure that out, and I've kind of just let let it go because I think it starts at home. I feel I, it does, but I think even then, like Jeff, like there are people who grow up in like homes that I feel like would cultivate that kind of experience who still wind up in certain ways. And it's, and I think there's too many other things at play for us to make a sound decision about. Like come to like a agreement about this thing, like genetics. 
upbringing, timing of birth, right? Like when were you born? Like what era were you born in? Mm. You know, community, environment, like school, like so many other things. And I, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint it. But I will say turning 30 and having like when I turned 30 in 2013, it was the culmination of a lot. I just ended a six-year relationship. I just put out a new project where I, I was going by my actual birth name and not like my rap name. So like that felt like a transition, mm. right? Um it's like there were a lot of things that were happening in 2013. And then having Lila um, in 2015 was like, oh, okay, wow. Like that's that was like another hefty transition. So I think those two things in tandem kind of led to me kind of embracing the idea of leadership and what that meant. That's amazing. I really just I always like how you always bring it back to your, like your daughter. You always give her the credit <laughs> yeah. for like your progression. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I mean, she's deserving, man. Like, and I try not to put too much weight on her through our relationship because I think it's really easy to make your children like the end all be all mm. and, and like I've never I've tried really hard not to be that person like I'm gonna pursue the fuck out of my dreams and it's not going to affect it's not gonna hurt my child if anything's gonna help her growth and I wish more parents and really I wish more moms had that opportunity because I think a society we tend to not embrace women being able to live their fullest se- be their fullest selves without society saying like or without detractors being like oh well are you home parenting or are you like <clears throat> I think you can do both. I remember. I always remember there's this picture of this woman in parliament who would bring her child to, like, all these meetings. And so, like, there's photos of her child right. progressively throughout the years, like, being there with her mom. And, like, I think to me that's it. Like, that's the dream. Like, wanting to bring your child with you along through the process so your child learns that, oh, okay, it's a cool for me. It's cool for me to have my life, but then also have people love me while I'm doing this thing. I believe that's, like, the fight right now for the Democrats in the House and all that mm. stuff. I think they're trying to get— I don't know if the mission is like a rule or a law, mm-hmm. like like letting these women bring their kids to work. <laughs> yeah, and so many people are against it. And I was just very strange out about that. It's just like why? Like I'm definitely not strange out about it. It's at more all, convenient. Man. I feel at the end of the day and yeah, safer. Absolutely. absolutely. I, yeah. I just don't understand like why people are so anti against women doing what the fuck they want. Do you do you not understand Jeff though? Or is it like you just feel like it's just stupid? Because I know it's, it's stupid. stupid. I don't understand yeah. how something is that. Like people who genuinely walk out every day and believe these things that they believe and say these things that they say. I, I mean, don't understand. I mean, I think, because, <clears throat> you know, power, power, man, like power dynamics. Right. You know, and I think when you are when you are attached to ego, letting go <clears throat> of power is incredibly difficult because the reframing and restructuring of power, especially if I'm attached to this power, then means I have to look at everything else that comes with it. So that means like if I'm attached to this power and I'm now losing, quote unquote, power. What what else do I identify with? Like when 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 you see white Republican men fighting abortion rights and fighting for the 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 right for women to choose how to use their bodies is because it changed the conversation one and it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Right. Because now what what like if I can't control that, then what else can I not control? You know what I'm saying? And like where like and where does my power now lie if I can't have control and dominion over someone else's body because now that means i have to be responsible Hmm. you know for like a whole bunch of other things that i'm not accustomed to because i've generally had people disenfranchised people marginalized people in this box and now because this box is shifting um, shifting and breaking apart i now have to look and say okay now I have to be responsible for some other things that I don't want to be because I enjoy being, I enjoy the hierarchy. The hierarchy matters more to me than the empathy for the person in their plight. Hmm. I, I think maybe, I don't know, do I need to gain some sort of power to understand 
power. No, because you're but, not living because you're not living in the space of a person that's looking for power in order to have power over other people. Like people right. who need that power are weak. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a in like weakness, not like you're a frail person and like and I mean some of it is just like you just a weak ass motherfucker. But other right. than that, it's like you know you look at a Trump, you look at a person who's not been told he can't have anything. He's been given things, and we have a person who's been given things, who's who's been whose spirit has been cult like who's cultivating an ungrateful, dangerous like spirit, right? Like then you have a person that's like grabbing by the pussy. You have a person that's like I want to build a wall because I can speak to a people who are all living in fear, fear of losing their jobs, fear of losing their income, fears that are not even true, but it's a fear that makes it easier for them not to look at themselves and say, what am I doing to contribute to these issues? Or what have the people in my past done to contribute to these issues? People don't like mirrors, man. People hate mirrors because what mirrors tend to do is reflect the same things that you're scared of that you don't want to deal with. So um, do we attribute to the past, like their upbringing is like where it's all started this, and then it carries with them? Like yeah. like you mentioned, like, there's people that just don't grow out of that shit. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess, do we put that on as for everyone who's like this? I don't Trump think, specifically? I think partially it's, there comes a certain point in time where you have to take responsibility for things. Yeah. But then also, I mean, granted, let me, let me rephrase that. There comes a point in time where you're given, like you've reached a certain age where you can actually start doing that. Are people going to do that? If they don't have to, that's that's actually like I forget Stokely Carmichael's exact quote, but when he's talking about Dr. King and nonviolence, he specifically was speaking to the idea of oppressors not having a heart. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And like, and I I haven't seen it to be historically not true. You know what I'm saying? Like we when we when we try to like I get frustrated on Twitter sometimes because I see people have arguments with individuals as if they're trying to invoke some level of love from them. Or like, do you not see? Do you not see children being ripped from their parents' arms? They do not care, because it's not about the. It's not about the visual of that. Like, aren't you a parent? Wouldn't you feel they don't care about that? It's you're not, not going to say change someone's perspective through a tweet. First no, of all. you're definitely not. And people and like psych- psychology has already taught us that people who have biases and those bi- have those biases challenged generally tend to dig a deeper stake into those biases. Mm. So if you call me a racist, I'm more likely going to be like, No, I'm not a racist. I have black friends. I have Asian friends. Get out of here. I, I, I love the gay community. Right. I, 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 my, my cousin's gay. Like, they will look for any other way besides going, hmm. Like, you know what I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, even like, when we, like, your hat. Your hat right now in rape culture, which is incredibly important. Please, right? please. Right? The idea that, especially like men and black men, like, we have this thing where we think we don't have privilege because we're black men, we're brown men. And it's like, you're still a man. We all have privilege. Like, I can walk. I have privilege. Because there's a person who does not have leg, like people who are in wheelchairs. Like there's a certain level of privilege we all have access to. Yes, it's important to recognize that privilege and move accordingly. If I can't recognize that privilege, it's because I'm afraid of having to give up some level of ego and power and control. Because then I'm admitting there's like a level of fault that I might have for like why our community feels disenfranchised or feels fearful. So instead of engaging in proper communication about the thing that the community is complaining about, mm. I'll blame them for the lack of my understanding. So it'd be like, well, if you weren't if you weren't wearing that dress or I mean, why didn't you say something? Or you waited a really long time to say something or like what did you do? Or I have to see both sides. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. you look for any other reason as opposed to saying like what have I done to contribute to this culture? So that was a lot. <laughs> I, I just feel how can how can I say this? I just feel going forward, 
in the next few years, decades, generations, I just feel our people, we need to just, black men specifically, I don't know how to say this. I'm trying to articulate this the proper, proper way. Yeah. What do you feel we need to do going forward to, I mean, I guess, move in a more confident space and comfortable level with ourselves? Do you want my real, like, real answer, Jeff? I like I like that, yeah. Okay. I think there's some people we need to ship off on a boat. I think there's some men who are like, I just are just not going to get it, who don't want to get it. I remember walk, I was walking on, I was on Union Square, and there was two dudes that were walking, and they were talking, and I was behind them. And dudes were just like, they weren't bothering anyone, but they were having a conversation about women. Like, yo, what does she expect, man? She walking around like a like like a bitch. Da, 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 da. And it's like that that kind of like that kind of rhetoric is steeped in something that that person is probably not willing to change, right? Or like nav that person is not willing to navigate those waters. And there's a difference between a person who's like, yo, I don't, who's like questioning things who maybe might be using inappropriate language but is still open to having a conversation about stuff yes. and there's another person who doesn't care and those people honestly don't care i don't think we'll ever care and i think we need to get rid of them just i'm honestly just get them all out of the country yeah uh, absolutely or like put them on a put them on another planet that's how i feel about everyone born before like 1980s like, <laughs> like everyone yeah like there's <laughs> like this this old black, like and there's some there are some men who are open to the dialogue but I do, and and there's a level of empathy I have and forgiveness I have for individuals who grew up and were steeped in certain behaviors that have contributed to, like, this kind of rape culture we live in now. Right. However, again, there comes a certain point in time as a grown-ass adult, like, you can, if you're either looking in the mirror or you're not. And I'm going to give you the language and explain to you why this is maybe harmful. And you could be like... I remember engaging in some Twitter conversation and me and this dude were going back and forth, back and forth about black male privilege. And he was like, but I don't understand how, but da, 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 da. And like every everything was a counter argument. I'm like, like, you don't want to, you don't want to have a conversation about this. You don't, you're not shifting. Right. And my, my up, upbringing is definitely um, a bit different than most people I feel. Uh, I'm not saying mine was perfect, mm -hmm. but I was raised specifically only by women, my mother, mm -hmm. my grandmother, my aunt. And, mm -hmm. I just I'm so grateful for that yeah. because yeah, I yeah. feel like I've grown to a person that moves, I guess, the quote unquote right way. Yeah. And I feel bad for people who have grown up seeing their fathers be the ones in power, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I just I can't share my experience with them. All I can do is preach my experience and hopefully change their, their, their perspective on yeah. life and yeah. women. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. And then I think, too, what you're speaking to is important because what we've generally tended to do is put the onus on black women and women of color to educate us how to move accordingly. It's not in the their world. responsibility. And we're moving in, into a space now where like a brother such as yourself, like we're taking responsibility so that the next generation of young men who come up under us can be like, nah, like that's not the way. Yeah. That's not the way. Granted, there's just as many and maybe even more men who feel the opposite, who still feel like there's a certain place for women to be. Yeah. There's a certain way that we're supposed to function as both men and women in the world. This is what men do. This is what women do. And frankly, there's some black women who feel the same way, mm -hmm. like who feel like there's a certain kind of like way that you're supposed to move as a man. And if you're not doing that, that is that is that is an indication that you are not masculine enough for me, you know, and like the community ain't ready to have that kind of conversation with our people like tearing each other to shreds and like talking down to each other even if it gets like, to that point it needs to happen because we, we need we need the, we need these, these conversations to happen and it's because yeah. we've gone too far it's gone on too long mm -hmm. the way things are you know and it's disgusting and you said and you said your point like 
You can't have that conversation on Twitter, man. There's not Never. enough time. There's not enough time. You don't have enough characters. There's By always the time... gonna be miscommunication as well. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and then, and then what? What'll happen? Even in like these town halls, man. I'll see, because there's so many layers to blackness and like the culture, and so you'll have motherfuckers who like talk over each other. There's like the elitist kind of individual who's like, I'm more awake than you are, and so I can't believe that you would say these things about women. And fuck, and granted, absolutely like denounce that, but I think. People, we miss the boat when we don't recognize there's a way to 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 ch- not chastise people there's a way to check people with love in respect yeah for sure because people like you can't you can't expect speaking to a person condescendingly is going to invoke some sort of response that's going to create healthy dialogue it just doesn't work that way and I th- what I would love for us to be able to do is the same way we talk about spirit and like how we'd want people to talk to us in a relationship is the same way we should approach everybody right. because we are in relationship with everyone we communicate with. There's some level of kinship involved. And if we, uh, and we look at it from that lens, as opposed to this is this motherfucking stranger who I don't know, who I don't care about. I feel like that might make it a little easier for us to say, how can I be more empathetic and not like, I'm going to forgive you for what you said, but recognize that you have your own biases that are contributing to how you move in this conversation. Right. And I think it starts with, like, the tone of what you're saying. Like, not not just the message, but yeah, the tone. Just abso- yeah. speak as calmly as you can because, yes, it gets frustrating. These people, just don't, they just don't get it, and they can't mm-hmm. help it. But you, can, you have the opportunity to help them get it and help change some consciousness on this shit because, in my opinion, it's just gone on way too long. It's, yeah. It gets so frustrating. I, I've had many conversations with many people about this, my mother specifically. Yeah. And it's just it's just depressing. Honestly. I, it really is depressing. That's gone on this far and still going on. Yeah. Especially with the ones in charge, the one in the, the politics, yeah, the politicians. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I just don't I don't get it. You bring up a really good point though, too. I think there's this in or, in order to be calm, you have to have some level of, of detachment from the conversation. And I'm also speaking from a place of privilege as a man, right? So, like, I there hasn't been, like, my infringement, the infringement of my freedoms has mainly come from, like, a, a, a white supremacist system, mm-hmm. right? Not from, like, other persons of color sometimes, maybe, but not, like, generally speaking, no. As opposed to women, like, when, like it's easier for me to have that detachment because the conversations we're having affect me indirectly, Right. Like, I'm not speaking to a, I was walking down the street and I got cat called and this dude tried to grab my arm and when I didn't, when I wouldn't respond, he's like, fuck you, bitch, blah, 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 in like the neighborhood I live in. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. there's a different kind of attachment to a feeling from that circumstance so I can speak more freely to like, yo, you just be detached from so you don't respond in this way that may incite or create more um, division. But that's kind of what's required, unfortunately. Like, yeah. a level of... I feel how I feel, but in order for me to appropriately engage so maybe we can have some level of growth in this conversation, I have to be detached from the outcome, from the expectation, and from the not necessarily from the feeling, but from the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But like from the fire behind the feeling. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, like I can recognize the emotion without having an attachment to the emotion, hmm. if that makes any sense. No, I, I definitely understand that. And I, I would just say one last thing on this is just like... If you want to really grow, if you notice these certain things in your behavior, just sit sit down, close your eyes, look in the mirror, whatever, and just mm-hmm. self-reflect and think of all the things you've done in the past and try to work towards getting past those those poisonous roots in your behavior because yeah, yeah. Um, you're not benefiting the planet at all. <laughs> you're, not, you're not benefiting the planet in any way in a positive way. No, nah, not at all. Not at all. Um, so I'd like to get into this book I have right in front of me. Cool. 
A book about things I will tell my daughter. Yes, sir. Um, man, where do we start? How did you start this? When did you start? Like, do you remember the first day you sat down and wrote the first page? <clears throat> I mean, I'll say no, because the book is a, it's like the culmination of like two or three years of work. And so. From the I, birth of your child and. Kind of. So like, I'll, okay, so I'll give you the rundown. So. I had known that I wanted to write a book. I was working with an agent around 20, yeah, like 2015, I guess you would say. Okay. Like 2015, 20, actually, correction, 2016. It's been 2018 now, right? Mm-hmm. And the book came out in 2017. So, <laughs> actually, I'm completely wrong. So, I'd, on and off, like, I've been, I've been, so, I've been sending Curie letters to agents since 2015. Wow. And I would get in a response. And granted, it wasn't this book. It was just like an ideas for certain manuscripts that I had floated, floating in my head. And I started working somewhat with an agent in 2017. I was kind of getting really excited about it. She kind of, she disappeared. Like literally, like we had a coffee meeting and then I, I didn't hear from her. I sent her my manuscript. No paperwork was signed, no business. No, right? no, no, okay. no, 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 we, no, no, no. We just had a conversation about like moving forward, like this project that I had in mind that she felt excited about. So I sent her the manuscript and I would just kept sending an email. She didn't respond. So I just stopped. And then I got really depressed um, around that time. And it was like, I had told myself I was never going to self-publish and no knock on anybody else's self-publishes. I think actually I'm probably going to self-publish the next book that I do hmm. um, just because it's like a multimedia project and whatever. But, um, I was like, you know, I, I, when I following the Tony Morrison's of the world, the Juno Diaz's of the world, um, I wanted to kind of follow that path of of the writers that, that I adored at the time, right? Which is like, you sign with an agent. That agent shops your book. Your book then lands with a publishing house. That publishing house then moves your book to like the Barnes and Nobles and the Strands of the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the make the the McNally Jacksons of the world, or whatever. And once the agent fell through, it was like, okay, listen, I feel like. God is telling me, like, I need to do this thing. Like, I need to put out a book. And if I don't do this thing, I'm denying my blessing and he's going to take it from me in some way, shape, or form. Like, that's what I felt like the calling was. Right. And so I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to self-publish. And so when I said I was going to do that, I was like, okay, what's the easiest way I can compile work that I have already have and I've written that would make sense? And so what I decided about, the reason the book is titled a book about things I will tell my daughters, essentially, it gives me the gravitas to, like, put any kind of poem that I want in there as long as it deals with a me, my daughter, like really me and my daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like because it's like I wanted this book to be a tutorial of like art for her. So like I could talk about race, I could talk about gender, I could talk about I could talk about whatever I wanted to through that lens. And so I felt like A, the title gave me that and like the 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 theme gave me that room and freedom. So I was pulling poems that were like spoke to like three different like three different parts. My life before Lila, my life when I found out I was going to have Lila, and my life after Lila was born. Right. So, like the the book, the flow of the book is essentially that. It's like this is how this is how your daddy grew up in the Bronx. Oh wow, I'm having a child. This is nerve wracking. Oh now these are the lessons that I want you to have growing like growing up as an Afro Latina in this world. And so, it, it allowed me to like pull from essays. It allowed me to pull poems. It allowed me to like so like it was a good healthy mix like there's a listicle in there that I threw in like mm-hmm. that's also kind of like a poem yeah. so the idea of wanting to create a story arc in that way and so like that's what and so like literally I started compiling that work and let's say April I'm still kind of depressed when like I'm gonna put this book out once I started doing that Bottle Cap Press followed me on Twitter 
then subsequently unfollowed me. And Bottle Cat Press is the book, <laughs> is the, the publishing company that's put out both of these books so far. Yeah. And followed, unfollowed me maybe like two weeks later. And I was like, oh man, am I tweeting too much? And granted, I didn't know Bottle Cap at the time. I just knew like they were a publishing house. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder why they're following me. And then Craig, who's the owner of Bottle Cap, followed me after Bottle Cap unfollowed me. And I was like, okay, fuck it. This must be a sign of something. Yeah. So when he when Craig followed me that day, I hit him up. That night when I got home, I was like, I'm going to send you a manuscript of like of my art, just like just so you know. He's like looking forward to it. So I've made the final edits that I needed to make for the manuscript that and granted. So we're looking at maybe like August at this point in time over the summer of 2017. Right. I send Craig the manuscript like around like a little bit after midnight. I go to sleep. I wake up to an email. Craig is like, I love this manuscript. We would love for, pub- for Bottle Cap to publish this book. I signed the contract that night. And then I think I put up an Instagram post that night, that same night, saying like, "This is what I've been working on, y'all. The book is coming out." <laughs> blah 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 blah. All that to say, like, you know, I recognize that you just have to follow the calling and be patient with it. You know, like once you accept what's acceptance plays a big role in that. Like, I once I let go of the idea of what the thing was supposed to be, the thing that I thought I wanted came. You know what I'm saying? So wow, like, okay. yeah. I was expect I I I was like, man, I gave up on the idea of not wanting to self-publish and said I'm going to, and it felt like when I decided to do that, God, universe, whoever was like, okay, thank you. I'm glad that you were able to let go of that thing hmm. for you to be able to get this thing. You know, and I think a lot of what we do in spirit is like letting go of things so we can open up the door for better things to come. I uh, definitely want to have ask some questions about self publishing because I'm working on doing that myself for my Dope. own book that I want to yeah. release next year, Sweet. and I also want to get into a few pages specifically in the book that resonate with me. Hmm. But I also have a question: Do you actually write or do you type out like when you work on these things? I mean, it's a mix of both. Like now, more than anything, honestly, I use my phone a lot. Like I'll just throw something in notes. Even when I'm writing poems on Instagram, I'm writing on Instagram. Like, I'm literally, like, any anything that you've ever read or anybody's ever read has been, like, in process. Like, I'm writing. Sometimes I'll post a poem, and then, like, I'll go back in three minutes later and add three lines. And sometimes I wish people would go back. Mm. I don't think people do. But, like, I'll edit. I'll, like, take a line out. I'll throw a new line in. I'll throw a new word in. Like, all my works in progress. All my art is, like, work in progress. Right. But, like, normally it's me typing on my phone and going, okay. Publish. I'm typing on my laptop currently, and um, I tried actually just try writing a chapter, yeah. writing out with pen and paper. Yeah. My handwriting got worse. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm not sure yeah. if just typing so much as it does that to you, but I think everyone should just go back and write something and just I, see how the handwriting is. I, you're absolutely right, because it, it, like, if it's a muscle, yeah. you're not using Yeah, but I think writing is so important. Like I still write. Like, even though when I'm taking notes, like that means something. Like I think it contributes to the process. There's a certain way our brains process things when we're writing as opposed to typing. Right. You know, So even if it's just a mix of the two... Is healthy so i have a few pages specifically uh page one one line on page one specifically okay. resonate with me okay you said the ghetto has saved me more than jesus <laughs> i suppose yeah yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. how so mm. i feel like the ghetto is labeled as this dangerous place to white yeah. america and yeah. but you're telling me it saved you yeah the ghetto is beautiful man i think i've learned so i've learned how to move about in the world and I think when we look at what what's happening in the culture now, that's all. That's everything that's taken from everything from the hood that we've labeled hood has become the thing. You know what I'm saying? When you w- look on a runway and they're wearing do rags, you know what I'm saying? Like that's as yeah. hood. You know what I'm saying? Like as much as we, you know, there's we we've taken so much from these from from, from these places from these places and spaces that we've deemed um, less than. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, 
and it's so much beauty, so much beauty, and like I'm offended by the word ghetto that uh, when people use it in like a, a negative way. Yeah, I absolutely. get seriously offended by that. Yeah, and, and I think part of that too is we also have to recognize we we've, we've done a good job as a society of taking words and bastardizing them or creating new definitions of them. Like suppose when we talk about when we talk about the um the the the, the when we talk about the Holocaust, right? right? And we talk about Jewish communities lived in ghettos. Like that's not a like we've take but we've taken the word and and we've created a a, a dirtier version of it. Right. Um in, in order and I'm let me not say dirtier, but we've created a version of it that's like that's indicative of a certain kind of person. You know, like you act in ghetto or whatever. And like, you know, um there's just so there's just so much beauty in it. And, and like so for me I've learned how to live as a human being through the ghetto far more than like religion has taught me. And you feel it? Oh, so it, you personally feel? Do you believe? Are you religious at all? I'm more spiritual than religious, I would say, and I, I feel like sometimes that's a little cliche. But like, I have a love and appreciation for all religions and faith. Right. So like, you know, whether it's Christianity, Catholicism, um, Judaism, um, Islam, Buddhism, whatever. Um, but for me, the spiritual journey has been more about like. How does my heart work and how does my heart function? Yeah. And then taking bits and pieces from all those religions that I feel like speak to me. Like, even like when we talk about Judaism, like there's a certain level of like sitting shiva, right? Like the idea that a person passes and for like, like for this amount of days, like we cover mirrors and we wear black. I think that's such an appreciation for the passing of a person that I think is beautiful. Yeah. And like, I don't know if I would ever do that, but there's such a profound respect that I have for that, that it, it for me, it's like important to acknowledge the beauty of a lot of a lot of the things that happen within these religions and faiths. I understand and accept the religion's existence. I have a lot of questions, just like everybody else, yeah. but yeah. I appreciate their existence. They help a lot of people believe in something. Mm-hmm. So agree. But I personally am spiritual as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um so page twenty four into twenty five. Mm-hmm. At the bottom of page twenty four, so going to twenty five, it says, I'm that dad, the one who would check his watch at five o'clock on the dot because that's just when you said you'd be, you'd be home. That comes off a bit overbearing a bit. <laughs> uh, he says he said i'm okay with that being overbearing because i i need all the minutes i have in the world to, to be had with you yeah um you're comfortable being over overbearing and protective and like that over, i think protective like someone I, say i mean i think um i think it's i mean granted that was written when like lila was goodness i don't even know if lila was was even like lila's just new to this world and so I think part of that is like wanting to be a part of that experience yeah. with her. Where now it's like different because Lila doesn't also need that. I think there was a point in time where I was very nervous about my relationship with my child because she's Lila was learning who people were, like who her father was and like identifying those people. So if I'm spending if someone is spending more time with my child than I am and that person is a man, like granted she can call me her father, but who is that person to her? Like the title doesn't matter as much as the energy that's being given to the relationship. Yes. And so for me, it was important to make sure like as much time as I could squeeze in with her, I was going to outside of, and like there was a point in time where I just wasn't doing as much work. And I think that time was needed in order for me to make sure I cultivated the kind of relationship I have now with her. I think I'm going to be that dad through and through until adulthood um, yeah. because I'm just so protective of him. Even my, my mom, like yeah. my mom's out too late. I'm like, where are you? Like I'm just, yeah. I'm just calling all the time. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Yeah. 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 I just, um, I know I'm going to be that crazy dad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, have that feeling. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like what I'm recognizing more is like, I'm just enjoying the, like the fluidity of, of her and I's relationship. And so, 
part of that is just like I think I'm less crazy now, and I probably, <laughs> I probably think I'm gonna probably be less sir. Like you know, I used to think I was gonna be maybe that dad, like that comical dad that's like. Oh, like, you know, like in Bad Boys 2, right, when you have, like, Martin and Will yeah. fake staging, like, the un- the crazy uncle who's going to basically, like, rape this boy, yeah. right, to keep him away from the daughter. And mm-hmm. it's like, nah, man, I don't, I don't want to create that kind of level of fear. I just want her to be, like, happy with the decision she makes, whether that's with a man or woman. Amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, like, that's work for me, though, because it's scary because men out here doing all types of crazy shit, but she may not even be into men. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I just want to be open to the experience for her. Right. Um, page 28. I will not be mad if you run away from, run from it. Home will always be here for here waiting for you. Mm-hmm. You will, would it be okay with her just running from home? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think <laughs> home's always going to be here. Yeah, but yeah, like, I was. I, I'm not making fun of the line. No, or anything. no, I no, just, no. I was just confused like, where your mind was at doing that. Yeah, it was more like the esoteric idea of like what home represents. Like when I talk about home a lot. I talk about home from like the heart space more than it is like a physical, like a physical manifestation of a space. And so home for me is like the comfort that Lila gets from knowing that her father loves her immensely. And so home means like even if you stray from the things that I feel like I've given you or taught you, Mm -hmm. like there's still going to be love here for you to come back to, you know, and I think that's really important. That was really important for me to like create to make sure that I'm continuing to create space for her to like try things to do things that maybe live outside of the space that the the conversations that we've had you right. know what i'm saying like i don't know what's gonna happen to my child like we create all these wonderful environments and we say all these things and we do these things but i don't know if lila's gonna get caught up in the wrong crowd or do the thing like i can give her all the love in the world but i can't control what happens when she leaves these doors right. and so part of that though is to create a space for us to like even if she goes outside and does some more crazy stuff that there's still gonna be love here for her when she decides to come back absolutely uh, I'm gonna do like one more page because I want—I really want people to buy this book. Um, oh, thank you. Brother. Like I mentioned in the very that. beginning, this book—it really set me on the path to start my own book, and um, I want to actually present the concept to you later on and yeah. get your opinion on yeah, it. Yeah. Um, last page, page sixty-seven, my favorite page in the book, actually. <laughs> uh, I named the moon once. I named it a thousand different things, and no name came as close to God as you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, that really—I read, read that page. Um, Man, how did you? Is that off the cuff? Like, did you freestyle that? Like, I, I don't want to. Yeah, it was. I remember. I remember putting that phone. I remember typing that in my notes, because like sometimes like Lila would just do stuff, and I feel like I'll say that that poem probably came from a conversation we were having about the moon. Like, so Lila, like our conversations are now like it's it's just normal. Like the the the, the sun wakes up, it goes to sleep. The moon wakes up, it goes to sleep. That's like that's how we describe. The, the change from day to night. Hmm. And, you know, part of, it's steeped in that and it's also steeped in, in something I speak to a lot, which is it is my I've give I've been given the responsibility to teach Lila. So what that means is I can tell Lila whatever the fuck I want to tell and she'll she's gonna believe it. Right. Like if I told Lila that this microphone was a spaceship, like from the time she was one years old, she would think that this was a spaceship. And so she would go to school and people would be like, look at a spaceship. She'd be like, that's not a spaceship. Mm-hmm. She'd be like, this is a spaceship. She'd point to a microphone. Like I have, so like it's a responsibility for me to create this world of safety, of love for her. And so like part of that that poem is also like the naming of things, like how we name things, you know what I'm saying? And recognizing that my daughter is godly. I think, I mean, I think there's a God in all of us, mm. but I think, 
in, in order to access that, we have to give ourselves the room and freedom to be whomever we want to be. And so for me, she's, she is, she's the God, she's the moon. She's, she's all these things that are all ever forever encompassing because I think her possibilities are limitless. So I think that's where that poem is steeped in. Hmm. And like, even going back to like prior to starting this, this book um, or any of your works in general, uh, when you do you search for inspiration or do you just let it come to you? Because mm. I found in my process of writing my book, I'm not drawing inspiration from anyone else but like myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm work- giving myself my own motivation to write each day. So I was yeah. curious if you have a similar process to that. Do you draw forms of inspiration from media, television, film? I think, I mean, or I'm, just life. I think I'm, 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 I'm of the thought that. I, we're all inspired by something. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have eyes and you have ears and you have your senses, then I think it's hard what we are. It's hard to not be. I think there's one thing to have, like, a spe- specific kinds of work inspiring the work you're doing. Yeah. And then there's another, like, I recognize there's this girl in my high school. There was a girl in my high school writing class with Miss Stahl, um, 10th grade, Anastasia. Anastasia was also a drama student. And I remember I had a book of poetry and my poems were, I don't say they were whack, but they were kind of whack. They were very much like, I love you like the garden loves to see you and me need to be like my version of what I thought whack was for me. Hmm. Right. And Anastasia was like, pixies fall in the fall. What time does night come? <laughs> did, it, did it like it was all these layers that made sense and connected. And I remember hearing her read and being like. Hmm, I want to write poetry like that. How did I do that? Yeah. And granted, I wasn't, and I didn't, and but like I, I started slamming, and like so, I, I, I do slam competitions, like so that that was another way for me to approach the writing. But all those things that I in, like, there's, there's a, I'm sure there's a, I feel like there's a poem in there maybe where I mention, I, I mentioned Cosby or I can't remember, but like even the first poem in this book, yeah. it's like there's like it starts with patois, like that come, like you know what I'm saying, like it's the, the way that we speak to each other like in 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 Caribbean islands like that comes from something you know and like granted I'm not sitting down right next to my mom who's West Indian like and asking her to help me but it's everything that I've taken in from my from my experience has allowed me to then create this like um like this food like I feel like the art is food and so like there's different there's different ingredients that I'm pulling from I'm pulling from media I'm pulling from sports I'm pulling from love I'm yeah. pulling from like anatomy science whatever I've learned is being thrown into the pot to make the art interesting and I guess you well you mentioned when you were before this book started you were depressed or was during the process of the book you were, you were during depressed during the process yeah during the process so it's yeah. fair to say you have a history of a uh, mental illness mm-hmm. I guess in a way mm-hmm. depression anxiety mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with it with those moments, those waves of darkness? Um, my therapist had always told me that um, you, you treat negative thoughts like clouds, right? You recognize them for what they are, then you let them pass. Um, because they're essentially going to pass because all things pass. Now, whether that passing happens in a week, a day, a month, I think part of that, part of my experience has been learning to give myself room to feel the things. Because we spend a lot of, we spend a lot of time as a society and as a community running from the things. Hmm. Um, because the running feels easier, which is not. Like, because the thing, the, the things catch up to you, you know what I'm saying, in some way, shape, or form, whether it be in the relationships we hold. And I didn't want Lila having to deal with any of my shit. And so a lot of my writing, especially like my essays, like when I write about suicidal ideation or depression or sexual trauma, it's I don't want any of my shit infringing on her growth. And so it's like, how do I deal with my shit directly? 
um, in confrontation. Like Lauren Hill said something in her Unplugged CD, like, um, like we thought, like, like we thought the road to healing was like through like denial and running, and it's not. It's it's through confrontation. Yeah, it's like confronting the things we're scared about, the things that are, we're fearful of, and using that at using that as a catalyst. Now, granted, we're not always in the space to appropriately do that. And so part of the discernment and like also potentially seeking therapy and help, and maybe that's through psychotropic medications, whatever you need that's going to be healthy, that's not going to infringe on other person's safety, you should do that. Yeah. But what I recognized was that I needed to process whatever was happening with me. And I was then the spaces and the times that I wasn't healthy enough to do that. I had to kind of sit with, why like the the truth of where this was coming from and recognizing that maybe this depression is going to last for four days and necessarily not necessarily saying that i'm going to be okay with this depressive state yeah but recognizing that it's here right and it's presenting itself as such and so what am i going to do with it you know like sometimes we try to do things sometimes you don't have to do things sometimes you just need to sit with the thing that's here and wait for it to pass you know what i'm saying because all things pass nothing nothing stays yeah, as is. I saw an interview on YouTube. You were you called a suicide hotline. You got to mm-hmm. rest to that point where mm-hmm. you went to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, was that an easy decision to make? Like, because I feel for me personally, mm-hmm. um, it took me so long to invest in um, therapy. And I shout out to Talkspace because I think it's so convenient because you don't have to go and sit somewhere. You can just do it on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it took me so long because I was so prideful. Yeah. Of my space, and I just. And protective. I, I didn't want to let anybody in. I feel like I could yeah. just deal with it on my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took me a long time to really my girlfriend kind of encouraged me to do it. Um, yeah. So I wonder, was that easy easy call for you to make? No, not necessarily. It was, It was. Um, especially because when I made the call, I was going to pick Lila up from daycare. So it was scary. And part of it was like I made the call because I wasn't, I, I felt like I couldn't check myself in to a psych ward. Because, like, I, if I do that, I'm not going to be able to pick Lila up. And, like, I don't. Like, there are things that have to happen as a parent. Um, and I didn't feel like there was space enough at that time for me to be able to do that without there being some level of conflict. And so making a call was difficult. But it was also me rec- being able to recognize that I was in a space that I needed help immediately. Hmm. Um, and having to take my, like, having to take my health and put that at the forefront of what needed to happen. Um, and so, like, that's when it became a little easier. Like, cause I was, I had, I was on the bus before I made the call, and I had to get off the bus. I was hot, like my body felt like hot, and so, like, it was. It, I felt, I felt like I was going to either harm myself or harm other people, and so I needed to do something in order to prevent that. Uh, I feel as human beings, we're all searching for escapes from it, from the, that darkness, and just mm-hmm. and find the way steps around it, so you yeah. don't get that. Yeah. Uh, for me, this podcast, this re- the reason one of the reasons I started this podcast is because during those moments of depression, podcasts for me were escapes from that. Mm, yeah, so yeah. I wanted to naturally make my own platform and kind of, I guess, be the, another domino in the line and uh, yeah. continue that trend, and yeah. hopefully, I can be an escape for other people. I wonder, is is writing also like that for you? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Writing writing is my therapy. Walking is my therapy. Like, I love I'll Because walking helps me process a lot of stuff. Man, Uber's so convenient, man. Uh, <laughs> it, it is super convenient. You know, it, right. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know about walking all the time. <laughs> Wintertime especially. Yeah. For me, man, it's just like there's something about, like, even on my, on my lunch breaks at work, if I can squeeze in, like, five or ten minutes, I leave my, I leave my, my phone always. Oh, oh, wow. when I go on lunch, like whether it be for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just because like I don't want the distraction. Um, so like I want to be able to like 
hear the sounds of the street and people and like just kind of be a part of the city um, as opposed to detach from it, which I think we tend to do a lot. Like we'll be on a, we'll be on a train and like just not paying attention to things. And I think there's so much inspiration and so much life that happens, especially here in New York that I wish we would embrace more of. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we have to engage with it, but it doesn't mean that we're, we're keeping a mindful eye and watchful eye to it. So like, but like writing, so like I do some of my best writing on the train sometimes. Um, and walking kind of helps process some stuff. And then sometimes after a walk, maybe I'll have an idea for, for a thing. Um, but yeah, those are definitely two releases for me. What for sure. fuels you more, music or writing? Because I actually tried to find some of your music. You don't go by your actual name on a lot of your stuff. Yeah, it's like, so it's like right now, um, so like even, so like part of the reason why I created my website, like my daughter may have dot com, was because I just needed a, I needed a platform to have all the things that I do live somewhere. Um, like I needed a website not social media just wasn't going to be the thing because it was like, yeah, to your point, like I, I make music and I write and whatever. I think they, I think because even when I'm, I think writing probably feeds me more cause it's, 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 it's more accessible. So like I can just write, you know, like when I'm making music or when I'm rapping, I need like a beat. Like some people write without a beat. I don't do that. Like if I'm writing rhymes, I need like a specific record that I'm writing to because there's a feeling that I need to invoke through the music. And so, like, I need to write a hook, and I need to write a bridge, maybe, and there's need to be there needs to be sixteen bars here, like so. There's a very specific process for me, as opposed to like when I'm writing, whether it be an essay, whether it be a poem, especially poetry, is very is very like stream of consciousness. Yeah. Unless I'm deciding to write, through, like like unless I'm I'm like I'm deciding to write in like pentameter or like erasure or whatever of the forms of poetry that people want to do. So. Writing is just like the easy thing. Like that's why I started writing essays because it got to the point where it felt like the music wasn't encapsulating the fullness of the emotion I was feeling about having a child. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what does this look like? And I couldn't do that in 16 bars and a hook. I needed to like write it out in a way that felt relative to me at the time. So that's when I started writing essays. Uh, who were some of your ins- inspirations, like musically and I guess writer-wise, like authors? Yeah, I mean, it's a combination. Like Toni Morrison, Jay-Z, Juno Diaz. Um, Yasin Bey, Nas, of course, um, um, Amiri Baraka, um, Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez. Um, those are like pretty much like the, 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 the those are the, the, the main ones. Stevie Wonder, musically, D'Angelo. Do you view them as idols or just like inspirations? Like Both. Okay. Both. Like if I, if, if like, if I saw Stevie Wonder right now, I'd definitely would fangirl. <laughs> Yeah, I, I respect would. it. Yeah, That's same. how I feel about Jay. Yeah, like if I saw Hope right now, like I wouldn't like get Michael Jackson like fi- like crying like fans like you know people be. I might out. cry if I saw Jay. Man. <laughs> I ain't gonna hold you. I might cry, man. His and music. I'm not mad really... at that. I'm not mad at that at all, man. Man, I've lived with his music for fucking my entire life. Literally. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Same. So it's like there's a very there's a very emotional attachment to like Hove, especially as his growth as a man and as an artist, like as a businessman. I think it's just it's. it's I love his story. So, like, meeting him would definitely be, like, when I meet him, I'm putting it out there. Hey. So, when I meet him, like, Jay, it'll if, be... Jay, if you're listening, <laughs> you probably not, but <laughs> um, <laughs> if, know, if somehow man. you are, you know, you're so man. another fan who wants to meet you. Word, word, man. Um, do some work. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, writer's block. Do you still get get that nowadays? Absolutely. I think some of the... But, like, the it's not... It's less... I don't even consider a writer's block. It's just, like, praise of time when I'm just not writing. Because um, I don't think it's a block. I just think there's, like... Spaces in time where, like, I don't have the impetus to write or, like, what I'm writing isn't good. 
like good to my to my level of expectation of what good means. That doesn't frustrate you though, because the moments when I'm not when I really could be writing something and progressing, mm. it gets me so mad. It's just like why? Like why yeah. can't I conjure these thoughts? Like, yeah. It doesn't get me as mad. I think I don't even get nah, it doesn't get me mad. It's more like I it's more like a I don't know how to describe it because what I have to remember too is like I'm just gonna write. Mm-hmm. Like the times when I don't write or like when I write something, I'm like, man, this is the last good thing I'm going to write. I have to remember throughout my own history, like any, every time I've said that, I've just written something else or I've written something that's better in a different way. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, this is not my last good poem. I'm going to write another. I have another good hundred million thousand poems in me. Like I'm not. But the times when I don't like if I'm not writing, it's like, oh, uh, it is a little frustrating, but it's also like it'll come. You know, I have to remind myself of that, though. It's a wor- It's work. It's not just like, oh. Whatever, it's definitely having to like let go of the frustration, but the frustration is immediate, but then it passes. That's my Achilles heel. I'm definitely not patient at all, especially when I see myself. I <laughs> yeah. acknowledge the timer yeah. that we're all on as humans. Yeah, of course. I acknowledge that too closely, and um, when I, moments I'm not doing anything, it gets me so mad. Yeah, yeah, feel you. And that, but but that boredom serves something. Like, and I think that's really important for us as writers and as creatives to recognize that, like, the, the periods in time when we're not doing work. It's okay because that's feeding something else. Like that boredom, your brain is doing something, right. and it's going and it's allowing you. You're taking in things. Like that's why it's hard for like I'm remiss to say like we're not like I'm inspired by everything because we're always taking in something. Like every time I have a conversation with a person, I'm looking at it as a form of art because I don't know how that conversation is going to lead to another conversation that might lead to me creating something or might lead to an idea right. or might lead to you know what I'm saying like there's always. There's a con- this connective tissue to how we interact with each other and with the world that I think feeds the things we create. Hopefully, this helps, man. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, yeah, <laughs> I abso- I'm sure it absolutely will. Like, That's it right. may not, it may not even be an idea. It might be a conversation I have with Lila. It might be there's so much room for that. Like, and it's important I think for us to create space for these for the things that we engage with in the world to <laughs> to to find themselves and find their way into like the other things we do. What would you say is your Achilles heel, personally? Mm. Um, I would love to be able to do a better job of receiving love. I think I I learn I know how to give it well, um, exceptionally well. Actually, I think receiving it is my Achilles heel. I have a I have a tendency to sometimes deflect love or to, um, I'll be trustful. I'm very trusting of it, but um, I think I can I can be dismissive at times of it. Hmm. You know, so like that's something I've been trying to work on, like just being more receptive, like owning, like really honoring the blessing of 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 the giving that people afford me. Like when people give me love, being able to receive it and thank, be thankful for it, and not try to deflect, like oh, but what about you? You're great, da da da. As opposed to just being thankful that someone's coming into my space and giving me love and showing me love. Hmm. Do you have an idea where that might have started? Like you it doesn't seem like you had like kind of a. I, mean, I, don't, I can't speak for you, but mm-hmm. like. Growing up, like with your parents and your mom and yeah. your siblings, like were you guys close? Yeah, 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 f- f- very close. Um, I think the re- re- receiving of it is just because I think I've um, less like I just think I've been I've become a I've become so accustomed to giving it, hmm. you know, honestly. And I think some of that is like because I have I think like a wellspring of it to give. Like the receiving of it, the reciprocity, while it has been important, is important. Um, it's easy to like be neglectful and to recognize that people also enjoy giving just as much as I do. Mm. Um, and so allowing space for other people to give as well, because also that giving can be a defense mechanism in that way where, again, it doesn't allow people to get close to you. 
you know. Um, and that could be a number of things like, you know, like absentee father, um, like trauma from the past, hurt being hurt in the past by the opposite sex, whatever the case might be. There's a number of like layers to that, I think. Mm. We're definitely similar in that vein of having an absentee father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm realizing more as I get older that that really does affect me. I used to always yeah, like, yeah. throw it to the wayside and not really acknowledge the fact that I didn't have a father. Yeah. Um, but it's funny. I actually realized more so that it really affects me this past weekend. Hmm. I saw Creed too. I'm not sure if you got a chance to see that. No, 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 not yet, not yet. So his father, uh, Donis <clears throat> Creed's father, he passed away. Yeah, yeah, Apollo. Apollo Creed. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess the scene and the situation I'm going to present aren't really related. But there was a hmm. scene here at the end. He's speaking to his father's grave. Yeah, yeah. And he's just he's at the end of the movie. He he won the fight. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I realized to myself in that moment, it's just like. That's all I ever really wanted is just to have uh, that conversation. Mm. Like, I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he's dead. I don't even know where the mm. grave is. I can't yeah. even speak to him. Yeah. So, um, does that, how do you feel about that? Like, have you spoken to your father at all? Yeah. I mean, and that's a whole nother conversation about the relationship with my father. Like, my father's still alive. Um, my father's like, he suffers from early onset dementia. Like, father was an alcoholic. He fought in Vietnam, paranoid, schizophrenic. Like, there's a, like, he had his own trauma that he was dealing with. Um, I saw my father actually last year. It was the first time I'd seen him in like over eight years. Hmm. Um, I think there's a level of forgiveness that I've given my father. Um, and, and that started some time ago, but really after last year. Like, you know, people do do what they – people deal with whatever they have based on what they've been given. Hmm. Um, and it would be far – you know, um, far be it for me to 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 be judgmental of my father for the decisions he made because I recognize he was doing the best best he could with what he had. The same way, very much in the same way that I am now, presently, and I'm sure Lila will grow up and may, there might be deficiencies in that way. There might be things that Lila, because Lila's growing up in a way that I have, I will not. You know, my like Lila's going to grow up with both parents present. Um, loving her and like and she's also growing up in a new era and a new age and an age that I didn't grow up in that you didn't grow up in and so I'm very curious about that but I think with my father I had to just reconcile like this is the relationship that we have um, and had and so I can't attach myself to like the what if or the what 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 would it have looked like if I had a father present in my life in this way or if I had someone to talk to or communicate to about that like at this point I'm just have to be appreciative for the fact that the lack, the lack that I, the lack of love that I wasn't able to to get from that situation, my mom gave, and then what it also cultivated was a lot of love for me to be able to give to my child. Hmm. Like I was, I was able to reposition that lack into like abundance. I think. Are you noticing things about your parenting techniques that like your mom did for you growing up? No, not at all. No, actually, areas at all? No, no, no. Because I think I think if anything, love probably more than anything else. Like my mom was just always super loving, gotcha. and so like I think maybe that's the thing. Like the affection. Like I'm very affectionate with Lila. Like I get like I love the shit out of her. So like it's not hard. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think probably that's it. Everything else is completely different. Like my mom. Like the conversations Lila and I have now, my mom and I still don't have. We kind of do, but hmm. of course, the range and access to language that I have is far different than what my mom does right. or what my mom did. Like my mom is like seventy one; she grew up. She wasn't born here in the states. There's so many differences and so many advantages that I have that now I can afford Lila. You know, through conversation and through tools. You make you know? being a father seem so cool, man. Uh, like honestly, like yeah. being able to like kind of like grow an individual and shape them in a way, yeah, with full of independence and love. Like that seems so exciting. Like 
Yeah, it, it is. It seems really exciting and exhausting, but... Yeah, incredibly exhausting, <laughs> hard as fuck. And hard not because of Lila, but just hard because of the adjustment that our spirits and our physical have to do in order to to accommodate this person. Yeah. Like, I'm not... Like, you're not going out every night. Like, you're not... Like, things change dramatically. And then also, like, how you respond to the world changes in, in, a, in a good way, I think. Like, Lila's given me a level of discernment that I needed. Like, I used to say yes to a lot of things, um, into a lot of people and she's kind of forcing me to be like nah like you don't got time and part yeah. of that is also co-parenting because you're making space for this person yeah. to also have a life so like you know like when am I ha- when do I have Lila when do you have Lila like you have something to do I have to be accommodating so granted I don't have to be but I think if you want to nurture a, a sound relationship with the person that's raising this child with you then yes be accommodating so I don't call her my, the, my baby mother like she's the mother of my child she's also a human being you know so like when I see dads like I see men get all up in arms about the things that women want to do, I can tell that that person is not being responsible with the love they are giving their child. Because if you care about your child, you care about the co-parent. I don't give a fuck what's going on. Right. Like, you have to. Because, like, that relationship, like, the relationship you have with that parent is going to affect your child. Consistently, constantly, always. Uh, so, I'm, like, I mean, like I mentioned, like, being having a child gets pretty exhausting. And, like, mm-hmm. you get moments of depression. Like, do you... Do you have any, any vices that you go for? Like maybe alcohol or maybe weed sometimes? Masturbation. Masturbation? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a chronic, I'm a chronic meat beater. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I think not as much. <laughs> I have to like, I, and, and I don't know if that's a vice per se because it doesn't keep me from like functioning. I think vices are the things that we go to like sometimes can be in, like, like, can be like inherent to like the things that we're trying to do in life so it doesn't keep me from being creative or whatever mm. but like I recognize if I'm a little depressed I'll throw on some porn porn can be a vice for sure because then like what, what that what that then can do is it can detract from like the it can detract from like the actual intimacy of a relationship with the same or opposite sex mm. because you're going to this thing that's not real at all at, for like satisfaction as opposed to like leaning to your partner or the person you're seeing or like actually engaging in in intimacy with another person. You were very openly uh with no issues being able to say that. Like I feel some people would be ashamed of that. I mean to admit that. Yeah, it's I just mean, annoying. Like just, <laughs> you do it, we all do it. Just yeah, say it. bro. Like, like it's not like it's a new thing. Like the motherfuckers have been watching porn since I mean there was this porn. I, I stole <laughs> I stole you this stole uh, a- I didn't steal well granted there's a couple of there's a I got a I got a couple of porn stories. One was <laughs> I remember oh, my sister's probably I'm not my sister's gonna hate me if she listens to this, but she, her and her husband they used to have a porn that they hid on top of their refrigerator. And I remember when they would go to work and my nephew would go to sleep, I'd pop that bad boy in. That's just from like the eighties. I remember this dude putting a piece of butter in this woman's vagina in order to like you know what I'm saying, like get some lube. And I remember being sure. like butter? Like you can you not nothing else, like <laughs> lotion or something, butter? All right, cool. She seemed to enjoy it. Um, there was that, and then I remember my brother. <laughs> my brother had a porn, like he he had subscribed to Adam and Eve, and he had like a safety deposit box. So he kept money, and he kept his porn video, Black Velvet. Hey, yeah, that man. sounds lit. Yeah, it was very lit. And so I remember seeing him do, like I was kind of half asleep, and saw him put away, and I saw he had a key, and I was like, oh snap, he's gonna go to work in the morning, beat meet beating time. <laughs> and so I was like super excited, and so he leaves for work. I go and I break. I think. Actually, there wasn't a key. He hit the key. So I had picked the lock with a safety pin because I was like, I, I need to watch this. And I heard the keys. So my brother came back in, and I guess he had wanted money or something. And so like I just put the safety deposit box underneath the bed with the safety pin in it. 
And my brother went to the safety deposit box. He's like, yo, Joel, what the fuck, man? Like, he was so, like, he was so mad. Yeah. And I lied about it. I said I wanted the money. And I, I was so embarrassed. That seems worse. I was so embarrassed about wanting to watch Black Velvet, which I did eventually. Even after he was mad, even at the crib, I was like, fuck that. I'm already in trouble. I'm watching this motherfucking porn. Even after he, like, I lied about, I was like, I'd rather take money than admit that I wanted to watch this porn. My brother was so, he was, Dwayne was mad at me for like a week. Mm. And then I told him when I turned 18, because that happened when I was like 14, 14, 15 or whatever. Damn. I finally told him. He cracked. He cracked. He's like, bro, why didn't you Why? Why didn't you just tell me? I was like, <laughs> I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't want you to know I was beating my meat. I might have sat on your heart like four years later. Like, bro, yeah. Because like, like, yo, I went to my man Robert's house after, yeah. and like I was sad, and I came back to the crib, and he didn't want to talk to me. He was so mad at me. So mad. He Crazy. didn't want to. I couldn't play Super Nintendo for like a week because of that. <laughs> what's like your go-to porn? Like, if you go on your social shows right now, what's like number one? I guess like website or like website and then like category. X, X, Xvideos.com, um, Ebony, okay. big big booty Ebony, yep. big booty Latina. I'm just giving away all the secrets. Hey, okay. Even even Pog. I'll take a, I'll take a I'll I'll take a white girl with a fatty too. Like it Ain't was. Wrong with I'll it. show no discrimination. But like primary is gonna be Ebony. Where? Okay. Always. Oh. Always. I respect it, man. Uh, Black Velvet. I'm about to X video that shit tonight. Have you watched it again? Like, yeah, try to find I know it? you can't. I've tried. I tried to find Black. <laughs> I tried to find Black Velvet. There's Fuck. another one. Ice called Ice Cream from like the '80s. <laughs> and, like this, but Harry Bush everywhere. I haven't found it because you search ice cream porn. This is you just search or it comes up as like people using ice cream in porn. Yeah, not like the actual movie. I'd have to go to like a a video store. And ask like one of those creepy like porn guys like, hey, do you have those even exist like anywhere? Yeah, man. If you go down to the village, if you go down to the village or you go down to um, like you go to uh, what neighborhood is that? Let me write like these east, down. Like write, east, like east. You got the address? <laughs> like east, like seventeenth around there. Like there, th- like there's a there's like a heavy like LGBTQ community like space and like the between like the teens mm-hmm. like teen streets like kind of Chelsea area. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like, there's actually a spot I always pass. I've never been into it, but that I always pass as I think right across the street from the vinyl restaurant, like the restaurant called vinyl that serves food. Mm-hmm. There's like a spot that's like right across the street from there. They probably have ice cream there. I'm and adding Velvet. finding black velvet to my goals. If next you year, find y'all. it, tag me and let me know. Cause, Cause that shit sounds crazy. The fact crazy. that you would literally go through all that shit and then lie about it for four years. <laughs> like this had to be some real shit. Like it was good, man. It was good. It was good. It was good. I remember there was another one. My, my brother had bought house. Like he got, the bootleg version of House Party 2 and I remember watching I can watch House Party 2 now I love that's like one of my favorite movies of all time but I've watched the movie yeah. after the credits roll and everything then this movie this Chinese karate movie come on Chinese super super ninjas mm. and, and I don't know what made me decide to fast forward through the movie but I was just fast I think probably because I was just looking for some, like, some nudity <laughs> okay. I was like oh, they gonna, these ninjas gonna get naked <laughs> and then porn porn came on right after I was like oh someone taped over this some porn <laughs> I was so happy. You sound like you were a crazy kid, man. I was. A porn happy kid, porn happy kid. A porn happy kid, man. Uh, okay, so God Wars Do Rags 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be what's it should be out now, right? It's all yeah, it shipped it, it shipped on December tenth. I'm waiting so. for my copy, man. I actually pre ordered it the same day Ava did. Uh, she got it before me. Um, <laughs> that's that's I'm excited, man. What can I expect from that? I mean, if you follow my Twitter feed, then it's pretty much just, it's like affirmations. The only difference is I think like I've titled the affirmations, so I want people to be able to know what they're getting into when they see an affirmation. So like, it'll, it's like I want it to be a how-to guide for just like how to create an open spirit and to like just love yourself more. So, you know, 
I wasn't going to do a book. I felt, I felt like it felt, almost felt like cheating to do the book just because I tweet these things for free. But what I was recognizing what people were telling me was like to be able to go to the to, to the tweet, like because I also tweet other stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but to be able to go to a tweet and say, "Oh, this resonates. Or this speaks to me." Um, and honestly, when Bernice King, Doctor King's daughter, um, she tweeted me in I think August of last of this was it? I forget what it may have been this year. But she was like, "You should compile a book of your tweets." And I was like, "Okay, I probably should like if like." The, the lineage of Dr. King is telling me this is the thing I should do, then I probably should do it. So I did it. I think everyone should do it because niggas be stealing tweets every day. Yo. They do. People don't steal my tweets anymore. So, I mean, maybe they do. I just don't see it anymore. Right. But there was definitely a point in time, like, for some reason, South Africa, like, South African Twitter loves stealing tweets. <laughs> Wait, like, how can you check that? I mean, because you'll just see, like, anytime a tweet got stolen, it would be, like, from Johannesburg or oh, from, like, got it, got it. and it would be just, like, people just taking my tweet and then not just, like, posting it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know why, but something about like South African Twitter, they're just really about that life. Thieves, man. Yeah. I'm so mad though because I, I be tweeting shit and then it don't really pop virally. Then I see yeah. my same tweet pop yeah. like 33, 8,000, whatever, <laughs> fucking million retweets and all that shit. I be so tight, you know? <laughs> You're just going to come up with better ones, man. That's why I don't even trip about it anymore. Like, yeah. you know, ideas at this point, man, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's just about the execution. Can and you like, like patent your tweet on tweets too? Nah. I mean, if you if I put it in a book, Oh, well, like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, but like, if I, once you put it out in the world, there's no, we still haven't created like, like licensing surrounding that, yeah. really. And I don't know if how, how can you? Like, like, what, what is considered to be an original thought, you know? Like, even the guy wears do rags too. Like, I didn't realize that a, a person who followed Solange, like, Solange, I think, wore like a do rag at the Met Gala. Mm. And someone had tweeted that, like, Yo, my God wears a do-rag, oh. right? I had never heard it. I had never seen it. But when I searched the title of the book, I already decided that was going to be the title. I had tweeted something like, God wears do-rags too. And that's where the title came from for me. Because mm. it was like, yo, God is just as hood as anything else. Like, like God is the embodiment of all these things that we sometimes think are scary or like, you know, um, not worthy. Um, and I remember looking at the title and then seeing the article that someone wrote about this user saying that like my god wears a do-rag hmm. and being like oh snap that's cool you know but like again that wasn't i literally had never seen it before had never seen it until like and i thought i was the first person that came up with it crazy i'm you excited know? man i'm Thank really you, excited is it how can you tell is it how many pages is it? Can you, can um you, like, it's like about the same amount like same six amount? like about actually less like, like maybe like 65 70 okay it's like about i think maybe about 50 or so affirmations and again each is titled so it's like when blank, whenever you need to blank, or when your blank feels whatever, like it's you know I wanted I wanted people to have like a course of action for like whatever they were going through. Hmm. I'm still on my third way through this this bad oh, boy, so like I'm gonna I go through that, that finish this Thank up, you, and then go to that next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What's the next for coming up in 2019? Any goals? Any um, New Year's resolutions or whatever? More work, um, more work, and. Um, creating a, a a bigger, broader platform for myself. Um, more collaboration. There's a one man show I'm working on. There's a there's some like more podcast interview stuff coming up. Um, the book that I'm working on is gonna be like a multimedia kind of book. So like some it's gonna be literature and then like maybe some photos, maybe like an art installation situation. More kids? Um, nah, <laughs> not for 2019, bro. Nah, man, nah. maybe some love. The primary focus, though, is, like, to just kind of... I want to be everywhere, fam, honestly. I want to be everywhere. 
Like, I'm not everywhere yet. Like, people know me socially, but, like, I want to be the person that people know. Like, yeah. and I want to, I mean, I want to make a shit ton of money. I want to change the world, honestly. Like, I want to be able to create a situation where, like, Lila's great, great, great grandkids can, like, go to school without having to pay for it. Mm. Like, that's the goal through the art, if I can do that. You know, and, like, if I can do that in a way that creates change and, like, for marginalized communities and for, like, gives people a reason or, like, belief in, like, their art, then, like, that's part of it, you know? You definitely need to help me over here, man. I don't know what uh, you, thank you, if you've realized, like, I don't know if anyone's ever actually told you directly, like, how you've helped them. Yeah. Um, but, man, this book I'm working on, I wouldn't have started without you or continued uh, without you. That's wonderful, man. That's um, one, that is wonderful to hear. I came up with the title because of you um, and the concept well, I already had, but I was confident, yeah. more confident with it. Don't, Can I explain it to you right quick? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm calling it a personal dictionary, right? Okay. So each chapter is a word, and okay. it'll have the actual definition, uh-huh. my definition, and then below that, it'll have my experiences of that word, like love, mm. faith, anxiety. Okay, okay. Uh, how do you feel that. about that? I dig that. I dig that. So, like, the explanation is essentially going to be you, like, maybe in, like, verse or, like, essay form, like, explaining, like, yeah, your, like or, like, a paragraph, like, whatever. It's going to be, because it's not going to be, you're going to give the word, the definition, then your definition of that word, and then your experience with that word. Right. Right? Okay. Yeah. Like, and like explaining that experience. Yeah, I think that's dope. Hmm. Yeah. It makes me think there's a book called The Lover's Dictionary, um, which I think you might want to read. It's a really cool read. If you haven't finished writing the book, it might be cool to like, to see their take on it because essentially what it is, they're telling the story through the definition of words, yeah. of like, of, of love, right? They're using words as definitions to explain a relationship. It's like really, like, go, like the idea itself is gorgeous, but I really dig that. I think it's a really, like, smart Thank way. you. Yeah. There's so many words I'm trying to figure out. I mean, I'm, so, I'm 15 chapters in. Mm. I'm trying to figure out when's a good time to stop. Like, when I see this book, like, the chapters aren't that long. The pages mm. aren't, that. what's on the pages aren't that long, mm. but you got a healthy amount of information here. So, like, how do you know when to stop? Like, do you just write until you just... Trust. Until you I mean, drop? I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah, trust. I mean, I think it's like, when does it feel like... When, whenever I feel like I've said everything that I need to say. Yeah. And part of that is, like, trusting. And, like, that's hard for me to explain to that because that's very... Like, that's kind of up in the sky when I say that. It's like, it's an intuitive feeling of... If I'm doing the practice and I'm doing the work, then I kind of trust and know that I've said everything that I've needed to say. Like, when I ended the book the way that I ended the book, it felt like that was a good way to encapsulate everything that I was trying to say about my child. Hmm. You know? And so, like, I just trusted that. Because you can always keep writing. Yeah. But, like, what am I, have I said enough that's conveyed the message that I'm trying to get across to the audience? And for myself, you know? Because you can just write another book, you know? That's that's very true. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna, just gonna keep trying until I feel like I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like you had like, and then you can look through it and then say, okay, maybe this stuff that I want to take out, this stuff that I want to keep. Like, does this tell the story that I'm trying to tell <laughs> to the audience? And like, if I said everything that I wanted to say in this space right now, because again, you can just write another book. Hmm. You know, like if you know, because then like, are you repeating things? Or like, have you said everything from from all the angles that you think you can cover it right now? And maybe you never will, but then like sometimes it just gets to the point where you're like, okay, this is this is it. This feels good. I feel like I'm saying what I need to say. It's funny you don't like giving advice, but I feel that was the best advice I could actually receive. Actually, <laughs> well, I mean, because you because you asked me because you asked me a question. Yeah, you know true. what I'm saying. So like, if you ask, I'm gonna give it. But like, as far as like, I I really don't like like what should I do is like uh I can tell you what I did. You know what I'm saying, and then hopefully that helps. So you you couldn't possibly give any advice for any single single fathers who might be listening right now. One piece of advice, one thing you learned, maybe? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I learned for me was to, uh, 
keep your focus and attention on your child, man. You know what I'm saying? And like, in respect and love for your co-parent. Like, we're like, empathy, empathy. At the end of the, at the end of the day, empathy can can essentially change how our hearts are wired. Like, if you're if you're taking yourself out of the equation and being like, how does this person feel? You know what I'm saying? Like, I put I, I put Lila's mom through her own version of hell, you know what I'm saying, while she was pregnant. Hmm. Part of that is just because I didn't do a good enough job, I think, of being honest about where I was after we broke up, like what I was doing outside of our co-parenting relationship. And then I just wasn't being more empathetic to, like, what needed to happen for her. Like, right. as a woman, a young woman, a young Latina like, growing up in the Bronx and, like, being pregnant and having a child, like, what did that mean? Like, I had to be open to that experience for her. So, like, just be open and be empathetic to, like, whatever people are going through because that affords you more space to be loving. Word. Yeah. Uh, one, one last question, then we out. Yeah. Uh, we have this segment on the... Oh, we got Rapid Rapid. Well, we were done. <laughs> shit. You want to shout your shit when we get out of here? Um, my daughter may have .com. Um, find me at, at J-O-E-L-A-K-A-M-A-G, Twitter, Instagram, all that other good stuff. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Homie. Thank you for coming, man. I, I really appreciated your energy and your time, man. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you can come back one day. Yeah, man. Because sure. I still have more questions, but fuck. Yeah, yeah. All good, man. <laughs> yeah. All good. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you for listening, everybody.